0: Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 141. So for today's episode, I wanted to talk about the current state of mirrorless cameras and where we stand with each of the big four camera manufacturers. So let's start off with Canon and their recent cameras. Now, as most of my listeners know, over the summer of 2020, Canon released the EOS R5 and R6, and both of these cameras were basically home runs for Canon. The EOS R5 has its 45-megapixel CMOS sensor with the Digic 10 processor. It has 5-axis in-body image stabilization, dual-pixel autofocus 2, 8K video, which for me is overkill, and 12 frames per second mechanical and up to 20 frames per second with the electronic shutter. It uses two card slots, with one being SD at UHS II and the other being CF Express type A. Now, this is a fantastic camera, and I know Canon got some heat for it because of quote-unquote overheating issues. But to be honest, most of the overheating issues weren't real overheating issues. They were firmware limitations that Canon implemented to try to minimize the real overheating that could damage the camera. And they've since uh, made changes to the firmware to allow you to shoot for longer periods of time, without having to worry about it if you're doing 8K or 4K high-quality video. Now, don't get me wrong. The cameras do start getting hot if you shoot an hour-plus with them at 8K. Uh, But originally, when the cameras were released, they were shutting down after only 20 or 30 minutes of 8K video, claiming, you know, the firmware was claiming that the camera was overheating when it actually wasn't. It was strictly a firmware limitation. Now, I This is a fantastic camera, don't get me wrong. And I've never understood Canon giving customers two different types of card slots in their higher-end cameras and making one of them considerably slower than the other. I mean, realistically, you cannot write to both cards at once when shooting high-end video, as the SD card slot will seriously slow down the much faster CF Express card slot. So you get a hit in the performance there, which to me just doesn't make any sense at all. Now, Sony has done the right thing by giving you two of the same card slots in pretty much all of their cameras. So you have maximum performance when writing to both cards at the same time, which is great for wedding photographers, sports photographers, any type of photography where you absolutely cannot afford to lose images due to a card failure. Now, next we have the EOS R6. Now, this has a 20 megapixel CMOS sensor and the same Digic 10 processor. The R6 also has the same 5-axis in-body image stabilization uh, to help keep your shots steady and smooth, and the same 12 frames per second mechanical and 20 frames per second with the electronic shutter, which is truly amazing. A lot of times when Canon will release two different bodies, one a higher-end body and one a lower-end body, they'll really cripple or dumb down the lower-end body. And Canon surprised everybody by not really doing that with the R6. Now, sure, it doesn't have as big a sensor. It doesn't have the top LCD, so it's in many ways it's similar to the EOS RP and that it doesn't have as many features and functions as the R5. But the areas where it mattered the most, Canon actually did not really dumb down or cripple this camera at all. And I was absolutely amazed when they announced it and released the full specs. Now, they also opted to give you two card slots on this model, and they made them both SD UHS Type 2, Which is an extremely smart move, so you have no performance issues when you've got to write to both cards at the same time. So if you're somebody that shoots weddings or something else like that where you really can't afford to lose your files because you're getting paid by a client, I would honestly recommend that you go with the R6 rather than the R5. Now, the other nice thing about that is if you opt to go with the R6, the R6 is like $2,400 versus the R5's $3,900. So, for the, for the price of one R5, you could just about buy two R6s and you'd have a backup body. So, I would definitely recommend going that route. And I'm, like I said, I'm not. Uh, Putting down the R5, it is a great camera, but for most photographers and even videographers, to be honest, it's overkill. It's way more than you're ever going to need. I, for my YouTube channels, I never shoot anything but 1080p, or I'll shoot at 2.7K and then output it as 1080p. I never shoot 4K, and I sure as heck am never going to shoot 8K they just require so much storage space and so much processing power it's just not worth the waste of time so i'll not be going that route and i don't really care nobody seems to care that my videos are only in 1080p i never get any complaints saying hey why aren't you shooting in 4k so why would i waste my time energy and money shooting 4k or 8k when it's just not necessary now The EOS R6 also has the same dual pixel autofocus Mark II system, so there's no difference in performance there. And like I said, I'm not bothered by the fact that the sensor's only 20 megapixels. Canon has used this 20.1 megapixel sensor in the 1DX line for years, as well as their other 1D bodies before the 1DX line, and it's always been a fantastic sensor. It gives you better low light performance because it is a lower megapixel sensor, so it's going to perform better and in, in low light. And to be honest, anything more than 20 megapixels is really overkill unless you're unless you're producing super, super massive prints. Uh, Anything over 12 megapixels is really overkill, to be honest, which is probably one of the reasons why Sony in their A7S line of cameras has always stuck with a 12 megapixel sensor. But we'll get into that a little bit more later on. Now, in this past week or so, we have a confirmed rumor from Canon rumors that Canon will not only release the new EOS R1 flagship mirrorless sports body later this year, but that they're also planning to release an EOS R5C, which will be Canon's new cinema camera. Now, it's rumored to have the exact same hardware specs as the R5, but in a bigger body form factor with active cooling to address any overheating issues when you shoot 8K raw video. Now, this is huge news considering if canon does release this body it will basically be the sony a1 and a7s3 killer i mean it's going to put a hurting on those bodies from sony and i'm not bashing sony sony makes great cameras but if canon releases an eos r5c that's going to blow everything sony's currently got out of the water by a mile that's just my opinion now And yes, I am a Canon and Fuji shooter, but I've shot with Sony bodies as well. I've owned Sony bodies. They are great bodies, but Canon is just really up in the game since they got into the mirrorless market. And I told you back when I started this show in late 2018... That when Can- once Canon announced their EOS R, their first mirrorless full-frame body, I told all of my listeners and everybody in the real world that I talked to about mirrorless cameras that it wouldn't take Canon more than 18 to 24 months to catch Sony and pass them. And I was 100% right. At right about the 18-month mark, Canon dropped the R5 and the R6, which totally blew Sony out of the water. I mean, you got to remember, Sony had been making mirrorless full-frame bodies for five, six years. They had a massive head start on Canon. But Canon was secretly developing their full-frame mirrorless tech for years. I I honestly believe that because that is one of the easiest ways to explain how Canon has caught and passed Sony in mirrorless full-frame camera technology already any reviewer that's reputable that's not a paid shill will tell you that the current eye detect autofocus in the r5 and the r6 as well as the animal eye detect autofocus in those bodies is superior to sony's and sony came out with the technology first they had more years to flesh it out to work out all the bugs and the kinks and all that stuff and get theirs perfect and sony's is fantastic But anybody that's reputable, that's used and tested and demoed and reviewed both cameras will tell you that the Canon is superior when it comes to eye detect autofocus, hands down. So that's huge news. So like I said, there's a good chance that this EOS R5C is going to just blow the A1 out of the water as well as the A7S III that recently released. And it's probably going to have a much smaller price tag of $3,900 versus Sony's $6,500 for the A1. Now, granted, the A7S three is considerably less expensive, but I think the R5C is even going to kick the A7S III's butt, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, Canon is certainly on the right track with their mirrorless offerings, All of their latest bodies have great specs, reasonable pricing, and as I mentioned a moment ago, their iDetect autofocus is already superior to Sony's, which is impressive again because Sony was the ones that started the whole iDetect autofocus thing. But this is why Canon is still the king in the camera world. They've been making cameras for over 100 years, and they're still number one in the world for a reason. But Sony is nipping at their heels, so we'll, we'll have to definitely wait and see how things progress. Now next, we have Nikon and their latest offerings. We have the Z6 II and the Z7 II, which are both great cameras. But to be honest, they are what the original Z6 and Z7 should have been. The Z6 II has a 24.5 megapixel BSI or backside illuminated CMOS sensor. It has 14 frames per second continuous shooting, so behind Canon there. It does have the 5-axis IBIS or in-body image stabilization, which is great. And it can do 4K 30 And it has their dual X speed six image processors, which helps with processing your images faster as you capture them and keeping your memory buffer, your image memory buffer down. You know, being able to dump the images quickly from the image buffer into the memory cards is very important to any photographer. So that is fantastic. Now it has dual card slots, which Nikon got a lot of heat for the single card slots in the original Z6 and Z7. But like Canon, with the EOS R5, they opted to go with one CFexpress Type-A and one UHS-II slot, which again baffles me from a performance standpoint. Considering Nikon has been using faster card technologies than Canon for quite some time now, just like Sony, now the good news is The Z6 II is currently on sale for around $2,000, which is an awesome price point to be at for this particular camera. And it is definitely a great camera. I am not putting down Nikon at all. I don't want you to think that. I don't bash camera companies for what they do. I bash them when they do things stupid. Um, and all of them are guilty of that. Like I said a moment ago, Canon and Nikon were both, in my opinion, idiotic with going with one CF Express Type A card slot and one SD uhs 2 card slot. To me, that's just absolutely stupid because you can't write to both memory cards at the same time without suffering performance issues. But now we have the Z7 II, which is also a great camera and everything the original Z7 should have been. It's got a great 45-megapixel FX format BSI CMOS sensor with 5-axis in-body image stabilization and the dual X-Speed 6 image processors, just like the Z6 II. So the performance is great. It can shoot 4K 60p as opposed to the Z6 II's 4K 30p. But being as this is Nikon's, quote, higher-end mirrorless full-frame camera body, why go with the same crappy dual card slots of one CF Express and one uhs 2 That just doesn't make any sense at all, especially from a performance standpoint. When you're trying to record to both cards at the same time, it was just stupid for both Canon and Nikon to do this to their cameras and especially to do it to their higher-end cameras. I mean, to be honest, both companies should have just went with CF Express Type A in both card slots on the R5 and on the Z7 Mark II. It would have made a lot more sense for everybody. I mean, it would have made the customers happy. It would have made the performance way better. It would have just been better for everybody. Hands down, there's just no two ways about that. So Canon, you really need to get on the stick, and Nikon, so do you. And I'm talking to both companies directly. I know they probably don't listen to my show. They don't give a rat's butt what I think. But I'm not the only one that thinks that. A lot of customers out there are just baffled by these idiotic choices when it comes to the dual memory card slots. And Sony seems to be the only company that actually listens to their customers when it comes to that kind of stuff. Okay, so moving on. Now, Nikon did recently... Go public with their development announcement, or they're announcing the development of a flagship mirrorless body that they're going to call the Z9. Now, we don't have a lot yet in the way of specs for the Z9, but Nikon is saying it'll have 8K video with some sort of active cooling to reduce overheating issues. Uh, We don't know for sure what the sensor is going to be, but rumors are currently that Nikon has prototypes in the field with their Nikon ambassadors uh, that have either a 45 megapixel or a 60 megapixel BSI CMOS sensor. And they're seeing how each sensor performs before they decide which one they're going to go with for the production models. Now, Nikon is also saying that it will have a brand new X-Speed processor, and more than likely two of them, like the Z6 II and the Z7 II, so that makes a lot of sense. Now, where Nikon is falling behind is in innovating their cameras. They've been making improvements to their iAF system, but it's still light years behind both Canon and Sony, so Nikon really needs to step up their game if this new quote, flagship sports body has any chance of competing against Canon and Sony. Now rumors are like I expected that the Z9 will have an integrated battery grip design like the D-series flagship DSLRs and the upcoming EOS R1. Both Canon and Nikon are well-known for their flagship bodies always having an integrated vertical grip, and I don't expect that to change with their flagship full-frame mirrorless bodies. I I expect it to be the same. Now, whether or not they're going to use the same massive battery that they've been using for the D-series and the 1DX series, I don't know. I think they should. I don't see any reason why they couldn't use those existing batteries, but they'll probably come out with a new version of the battery, each battery, um, a more advanced technologically and uh, and they'll go that route more than likely. They may reuse the current batteries they've been using in their in their flagship DSLRs, but I don't think so. But I think they will stick with the same larger form factor for that battery. I don't think they're going to go the way Sony did and have you load two batteries into the integrated grip. I don't think the Canon's going to go with two uh, LP6 NH batteries or something like that. I believe that they're still going to go with one very, very large battery, both Canon and Nikon. So that is what I expect. And I'm fairly confident that that's what we're going to see. All right, now let me take a break here for a moment, and then we'll move on to talking about Fujifilm and Sony. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now back to the show. Okay, so moving on to Fujifilm, we see that Fuji is certainly going all out with both their APS-C X-Trans bodies as well as their GFX line of mirrorless medium format cameras. Fuji recently released the X-S10 body, which is priced at $999, which isn't a bad price point at all. It has their awesome 26 megapixel X-Trans sensor with the X-Processor 4, It also includes 5-axis in-body image stabilization to keep your images stabilized when shooting handheld. Now, this body can shoot 4K 30 and 1080p at 240 frames per second, which is very impressive for those that shoot a lot of video. I know a lot of videographers love having the high FPS so they can do their slow-mo and ultra-slow-mo segments in their videos. So, everybody was extremely happy when they saw the specs for this camera. Now, they did skimp, though, with only adding one UHS-II card slot, but... Fuji doesn't tout this camera as one for wedding shooters or anyone that absolutely needs dual card slot redundancies. If you need that, then you're better off going with the X-T4, which is Fuji's new APS-C flagship body. But Fuji has made this a fantastic camera with its hybrid shooting capabilities of both video and stills. And so far, it's been getting rave reviews from very reputable reviewers that aren't paid shills. (laughs) <laughs> now, Fuji didn't stop there, as they have recently announced the new XE4 APS-C X-Trans body as well. And again, Fuji hit a home run with this camera. The XE4 continues Fuji's rangefinder style XE line and is a very, very great camera. It has the exact same 26 megapixel sensor with the same X-Processor 4 as the XS10 and the same 4K30 and 1080p at 240 frames per second for video. Now, according to reviewers, it doesn't perform quite as well as the XS10 for a video camera, so if that is your main thing, then you're more than likely gonna wanna go with the XS10 instead. And the cameras are priced at about the same price point. I think it's more of a a matter of whether you prefer the rangefinder body style or the more conventional body style. That's the biggest differences between these two cameras. But they're both amazing cameras that will give you absolutely stellar results. So I don't want you to think that I'm bashing either one of these cameras. They're both fantastic cameras. They're both great options. But if you want, a, like I said, a reasonably affordable rangefinder style body, then you want to, uh, say, shoot street photography or landscapes is your thing then this camera is most likely the one for you, especially if you pair it with Fuji's new 27 millimeter f2.8 Mark II pancake lens. You've got an absolutely fantastic, small, compact package that's going to give you ridiculously awesome images. And I'm being honest with you there. Uh, I haven't shot with this camera or that lens, but I know a lot of reputable people that have already had the opportunity to try it out, and they say the results are absolutely stellar. Now, undoubtedly, Fuji's biggest announcement, at least for me, was their new GFX100S medium format mirrorless body that released at the same time as the XE4. Now, this beast is based on the same 102 megapixel backside illuminated CMOS sensor as their existing GFX 100, but this camera is a much smaller form factor and even slightly smaller than the GFX 50S, which is very impressive. It has 4K30 video with F-log gamma and 12-bit RAW output to an external recorder, which is great for those that like to shoot video, but to me... I don't know. I just think it's a little bit of overkill. Because to be honest, most people that are going to buy a medium format camera aren't buying it for video and they're not buying it for shooting sports. They're buying it for the insane resolution and the insane dynamic range. That's what those kind of shooters want. That's what I want from a medium format mirrorless body. That's why I have the GFX 50R. I had the Canon 5D S R if you remember and absolutely love that camera with its 50 megapixel sensor but I still get more dynamic range and to me just overall better image quality using Fuji's 50 megapixel uh, GFX 50 R now again that's not to bash Canon I'm still waiting to see what Canon's gonna do when they release the mirrorless replacement for the 5ds and sr which i'm calling the eos r5s we'll have to wait and see i don't think they're going to do two versions i don't think they're going to do an eos r5s and an sr i think they're just going to do one but the rumors are that they may go as high as 90 megapixels with the sensor on that camera and that's something i'm waiting to see Now, getting back to the 100S, the 100S also has the 5-axis in-body image stabilization to keep your shots steady, and the same X-Processor 4 is the XE4 and the XS10. Now, it also has 19 film simulations built in, and it can do up to 400 megapixel images with its pixel-shift multi-shot capability, which is just ridiculously insane. But I do love it because of the fact that Hasselblad offers you the same thing in their H series of cameras. If you buy the, I think it's the H6C100D or whatever it's called, their top of the line digital medium format camera, which costs $100,000, you can do a similar thing with that 100 megapixel sensor in that camera. You can do a pixel shifting and you can get a 400 megapixel raw image just like you can on this Fuji. But the Fuji at $6,000 is a heck of a lot less expensive than $100,000 for the Hasselblad. Plus, the Hasselblad is big and wieldly. It'd be too heavy to use out in the field. It's something you're only going to use in a studio. Now, the 100S is not a rangefinder style body like my 50R. But there are rumors that Fuji will also announce another more budget-friendly body, possibly called the 50R Mark II i haven't heard any rumors that they're going to release a second version of the 50s so i don't know if they're going to or not the only rumors i've been hearing is that there's possibly going to be a 50r mark ii announcement later on this year but we'll have to wait and see now i must uh uh, then you know that's where it's going right now as far as the rumors now to me it would make sense that they would probably do a 50S Mark II as well because the 50S has been an extremely popular camera. So we'll have to wait and see if they do release both a 50S and a 50R Mark II. But I just thought I would let you know what I've been hearing about from the reputable rumor sites. Now, when it comes to the Fuji, I must also let you know, as let my listeners know, because I believe in being as honest with you as possible, that I manage the GFX 50R group on Facebook, as you know, and there are reports that the 100S, quote, freezes at times, which to me sounds like a major firmware bug. And Fuji hasn't issued a recall on the camera, so I'm assuming it is definitely firmware-related, not hardware, and that Fuji will hopefully address it quickly in a firmware update. Now, maybe they've already released a firmware update. I don't know. I didn't look into that too much before this episode. I know uh, just, I think it was yesterday, they, I got an email from Fuji saying they'd released new firmware for my 50R, which, you know, I went ahead and updated that right away. So if they released new firmware for the, for the 50R, they probably did for the 100 and the 100S and maybe even the 50S as well. Although I can't say that for sure, because I've noticed that a lot of times Fuji will release a firmware update for the GFX 100 and the 50s and then it's quite a while later before they release firmware for the 50r so i could be wrong on that like i said don't quote me i'm not saying that's a definite thing but if it does have this firmware issue hopefully fuji will address it quickly if they haven't already okay so last but certainly not least for this episode we move on to sony and what they have going on right now now, Sony hit it out of the park with the recent release of their much-awaited A7S 3 video-centric camera. All of the Sony video shooters were waiting for what seemed like an eternity for this new body to drop. The A7S three is sporting the same 12-megapixel BSI CMOS sensor as the previous models, although I believe Sony said they did revamp the sensor To make it an even better low light performer and i absolutely believe that everybody that shoots with the a7s cameras say that they are absolutely stellar for their low light performance and it's more than likely because sony has chosen to stay with a 12 megapixel sensor as i've said many times before the fewer megapixels you have the better your low light performance without introducing noise into your images Now, this camera shoots 4K at 120p, which is insane, and it can do 10-bit 422 internal recording as well. It has the same 5-axis IBIS to keep your video smooth and beautiful, and it's capable of 16-bit raw output with HLG and S Syntone to an external recorder. The a7S III also sports a crazy high-resolution 9.44 million dot EVF (laughs) that's got to be as good, if not better, than any optical viewfinder. And this camera also has Sony's new revamped menu system, which seems to have everyone that shoots Sony very happy. As I've mentioned many times before, Sony had an absolutely horrible menu system on their cameras all of these years. And it made everybody happy that they unveiled their new menu system in the a7S III. And then they also put that same new menu system in the a1. Now, whether or not they'll make it backwards compatible with their other bodies that are already on the market, somehow I doubt it but Sony may. They tend to do things a little bit differently than everybody else, and they do tend to listen to their customers more than any of the other manufacturers. Now, I was also very impressed and happy, even though I don't shoot Sony, to see that Sony went with dual-purpose dual card slots, which can use either SDUHS-II or CFexpress Type-A cards. Either one. Now, why in the hell are the other companies not doing this? It just makes more sense. The CF Express Type A cards are smaller than the Type B cards, so you could easily integrate them into the same card slots as SD UHS2 because Sony has done that. So, why are Canon, Nikon, and Fuji not jumping on this? technology they should all already be doing this with all of their bodies especially their higher end bodies i mean if you only want to give us UHS2 dual card slots in like the R6 that's fine or in the you know the lower end bodies that's fine but in your flagship body well not your flagship bodies but in your higher end bodies like the R5 like the Z72 and the A9 and stuff like that, they should, all those bodies should have these dual-purpose card slots. It would just make a lot more sense, and it would make even more money for the companies because, especially the folks that are shooting video, they're going to realize really quick that even though it costs quite a bit more, they get ridiculously better performance with those CF Express Type A cards, so more of those cards would be bought, which would in turn bring the prices down over time. Okay, so now wrapping up the Sony part in this episode, we have to talk about the 800 pound gorilla in the room, which is the new Sony A1 flagship camera. And no doubt this thing is an absolute monster of a camera. It did not outdo the Canon EOS R5, though, like everybody thought it would. It does have a 50-megapixel BSI CMOS sensor with 5-axis in-body image stabilization, but it's only 5 megapixels more than the EOS R5. And it can shoot 8K30P video like the R5, and it can do 30 frames per second continuous shooting. But does that really matter? Sure, it's great if you shoot sports, high-level sports, but Sony touting this as their flagship body, it's not really all that impressive, especially when they went with the smaller battery instead of a massive battery like the Nikon D series or the Canon 1DX line. I don't know why Sony went this route. They didn't go with an integrated vertical grip. They do offer a vertical grip, battery grip separately, but it just didn't make any sense to me. So if you buy the A1, you're talking $6,500. And then if you buy the separate battery grip, And a spare battery, you're easily upping the price of the camera just for the body to $7,000, which to me is a bit high for what this camera is. Now, that's my opinion, but my opinion on that is shared by a lot of other high-level, really well-known YouTubers and podcasters in the photography and videography world. So, I understand this is their first flagship body, but Sony did not have a massive amount in R&D cost, since they've already been making their full-frame mirrorless bodies for years. So, I was really shocked at the ridiculously high price tag. On most all of the other bodies, Sony tends to be on par or considerably less expensive than their competition, which is one of the big items that draws people to switch to Sony from other platforms. But with the high price tag, I personally think Sony massively missed the mark when they released the A1. We'll have to wait and see if they realize their mistake and drop the price considerably over the next few months. I don't know whether they will or not. We'll just have to wait and see. Now, chances are Canon and Nikon are going to release the R1 and the Z9. Both of those bodies are going to have integrated vertical grips like the D-Series and the 1DX line with massive batteries. And if they keep their price point at around 6,000 or better yet, say 5,500, they're going to put a serious hurt on Sony in the flagship battle. Canon more so than Nikon, since Canon already has better eye detect and animal eye detect autofocus than Sony does. Again, Sony was smart to make this body dual card slots versatile with the option of either UHS-II or CF Express Type A. That is a major thing. Especially when shooting high level sports like the Olympics, MLB, NBA, NHL, or NFL, NASCAR. But keep in mind, those CF Express cards are really expensive. But then again, if you have the seven grand to drop on this body, you're probably not worried about dropping another thousand on fast CF Express Type A cards. So, in conclusion, all of these camera makers have released or will be releasing major cameras this year and the mirrorless war is absolutely heating up canon is still number one with sony nipping at their heels but i believe canon will continue to remain the top dog nikon has to really innovate to stay relevant and i hope they do with the z9 but we'll have to wait and see i really do not and i've mention this time and time again. I do not want to see Nikon go out of business. I don't want to see their cameras go the way of the dodo bird. I want them to stay in the market. The more competition, the better it is for everybody, especially us as customers. And Nikon's been around for about a hundred years just like Canon, so I definitely don't want to see them go anywhere. Now, just to let my listeners know, I have not shot with any of these new cameras as of yet. I am not a huge podcast YouTube celebrity like many of the others that are pulling in tens of thousands of dollars a month with their podcasts and their channels, and I probably never will be one of the big dogs. But I like to share my views and opinions with my listeners, and I appreciate every one of you taking the time to listen to this show and hopefully share it out with others. Also, please remember to rate and review it and join the Facebook group. And I'll have a link to the group in the show notes so that you can join the Facebook group if you would like to. Now, I am planning currently to buy my EOS R6 in the next few weeks, as well as my GFX100S. And then I will do an in-depth review on both cameras once I've had them in my hand for a few weeks and can spend some time in the real world shooting with them. And I will give you my honest opinion. I try to always do that. I'm not going to blow smoke up your butt like a chimney, make you a chimney. (laughs) I prefer to be honest with my listeners, uh, with anybody that I talk to when it comes to photography. I try to be as absolutely honest as possible. And that's one of the reasons why I tell people that are new to photography or that are looking to get into photography, don't listen to anybody when they tell you one body is better than the other, blah, 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 blah. All the camera manufacturers make great bodies. Some have certain technologies that makes them a little bit better in one way or another than the others, but every camera in the hands of a skilled photographer is going to make stellar images. There's no two ways about it. It's like Ansel Adams said, the most important part of the camera is the 12 inches behind it, which would be you, your skill, and your abilities. All right, folks, this is going to wrap up episode 141 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I will see you all again in another seven days for my Thursday episode, and I'll see you all again on Sunday for this week's News and Rumors Roundup. All right. I'm out of here, folks. I will see you all again on Sunday.